Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor Gillian Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire, and empower you. Let's start by reading in Luke chapter 5 and verse 17. It says this, One day, many Jewish religious leaders known as Pharisees, along with many religious scholars, came from every village of Galilee throughout Judea and even from Jerusalem to hear Jesus teach. And the power of the Lord God surged through him to instantly heal. Some men came to Jesus carrying a paraplegic man on a stretcher. They attempted to bring him in past the crowd to set him down in front of Jesus. But because there were so many people crowding the door, they had no way to bring him inside. So they crawled onto the roof, dug their way through the roof tiles, and lowered the man, stretcher and all, into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing the demonstration of their faith, Jesus said to the paraplegic man, "'My friend, your sins are forgiven.'" The Jewish religious leaders and the religious scholars whispered objections among themselves. Who does this man think he is to speak such blasphemy? Only God can forgive sins. Does he think he's God? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, why do you argue in your hearts over what I do and think that it is blasphemy to say his sins are forgiven? Let me ask you, which is easier to prove? When I say your sins are forgiven or when I say stand up, Carry your stretcher and walk. Jesus turned to the paraplegic man and said, To prove to you all that I, the Son of Man, have the lawful authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you now, stand up, carry your stretcher and go home, for you are healed. In an instant, the man rose right before their eyes. He stood, picked up his stretcher and went home, giving God all the glory with every step he took. The people were seized with astonishment and dumbfounded over what they had just witnessed. They all praised God, remarking over and over, incredible, what an unbelievable miracle we've seen today. You know, sometimes in life, a little tweak can bring about a big change. My son's favorite meal is spaghetti bolognese. I have made spaghetti bolognese hundreds of times. I can't tell you how many times I have made spaghetti bolognese. Now, the thing about getting it right is the garlic. Now, I have taken this garlic and I have chopped it into little pieces. I have sliced the garlic. I have diced the garlic. I have tried to press the garlic with a knife. I have bought store-bought garlic in a tube. I have done everything and tried and tried to get the garlic just right. But it really just wasn't working. You know, you'd take a bite and it would be like no flavor of garlic at all because it had just been like garlic juice. Or it would be like you took a big clump of garlic and you're like, too much garlic in your mouth. And so I was getting really annoyed about this, but suddenly, something happened. I discovered this amazing thing, this answered prayer. It's called the garlic crusher. The game just changed. 
You take your little peeled garlic clove, you put it in this metal part, and all you do is twist, and out comes the perfectly crushed garlic. It is amazing how such a little thing can make such a big change. Now, everybody said your spaghetti bolognese has gone to another level. Sometimes in life, a little thing can make a big difference. One fresh thought, one little adjustment, one new approach, one new idea, and suddenly the greatest things can become possible in our lives. You know, this morning in our passage of Scripture with our paralytic man, we have an impossible situation. He's paralyzed. He can't move. And I don't know about you, but being bedridden does not sound like an ideal situation. He's frustrated. He's no doubt feeling helpless. He's dependent on everybody for everything. I mean, imagine the humiliation that he faced every day just for the simple things in life. He has to just let everybody wait on him. He has no independence. He's probably in his heart. He's become angry about it. Perhaps even doesn't understand what God's doing in his life. He's become embittered. You know, we know these things, these dark things are in his heart because Jesus addresses his sin before he starts with anything else. He's facing an impossible situation. But his friends have heard that Jesus is in town. His friends have heard that Jesus is in their village. And so the friends think, what if we could get him in the room with Jesus? You know, we know that this guy, Jesus, he can do things that aren't possible. He can do the impossible. And so they get him out of his bed on and put him on a stretcher, and they jaunt down the village. They make the effort. They've probably worked up a bit of a sweat under that Galilee heat of the day. They jaunt through the village thinking, we're going to take him to Jesus. We're going to take him to Jesus. We're going to get him to Jesus. And then they get there, and they face with a shut door and a full room. The tensor barriers are up. The crowd control is in place. The bouncers are at the door. Sorry, no, no entry. No, room's full. No, go away, go away. And they face with a full room and a shut door. You know, I think in life sometimes we can face shut doors and full rooms. We can get to a place where we believe something great's going to happen and we're on our way and we're on the journey, but we get there and we're faced with this obstacle, maybe in our relationships, in our marriages, in our careers, in our studies. We've got to that place where we're facing a shut door. That career just isn't moving forward. That hurt just doesn't seem to be able to go away. That relationship just won't seem to reconcile. In our lives, we can come to the place of a shut door. But the great thing is, the great thing is that a shut door and a full room are the friends of innovation. A shut door and a full room are the friends of innovation. You see, these friends of the paralytic, they see this obstacle, and I'm sure after getting him there, they think, oh, well, why don't we just come back another day? Let's get up earlier next time. You know, like when you queue for a mobile phone, but it's Jesus. <laughs> you have to get up really early. Let's, let's just come back another day. You know, maybe we can, we can try again later. Maybe we can, you know, there's got to be some way. They could have turned away. They could have gone back. But I want to tell you that while the shut door in the full room looks like a no, God is saying, hello, you don't need a door because you can make a hole in the roof. You don't need a door. You can make a hole in the roof. 
And then those men, they find that this impossible situation is turned around and everybody is dumbfounded by what God does. Isn't our God amazing? Now, you know, when these men come into the room, notice how Jesus responds to them. There they are, breaking off the roof. How does he respond? Is he upset that they've interrupted him in the midst of what he's doing? I mean, he's Jesus. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't particularly want to interrupt God when he's speaking. (laughs) But is Jesus upset? Is Jesus angry? Is Jesus mad at them? Not at all. Instead, quite the opposite. He looks at them, and the Bible says he saw their faith. You see, God is a God of innovation, and faith is innovation. A faith life is a life of innovation. He sees their faith. He sees that what they're doing is doing something different, going somewhere new, being led in a different way, not just following what everybody else has done, but stepping out into the unknown. And they do something different. Shut doors are the friends of innovation. Full rooms mean we can go somewhere new. They can empower something new to take place in our lives. One innovation, one innovation could lead us in our lives into the presence of God. One innovation could lead us to the point of a new situation taking place, something new emerging, a new future ahead of us. You know, something different can lead us into the presence of God. Think in the Bible about Joshua. Joshua has taken over from Moses. He's got the whole nation resting on his shoulders. He's got the pressure mounting of suddenly being the leader of this million people. I don't know about you, but we're not leading a million people in in our lives, are we? But the pressure on him, it was immense. All of us face pressures, but the pressure on Joshua that day was immense. God said, take the promised land, and he walks into the promised land, and the first city he sees is Jericho, a shut door, a walled city, a great impenetrable obstacle. There is no way through. There is no way in. He doesn't know how he can win this fight. He doesn't know how this victory can be achieved. God said, come on, take this city, and he's looking at a shut door. You know, maybe we're facing Jericho's. Maybe we get to the point where we've said, God, you promised us, and we've stepped across the Jordan, or we've taken a step towards God, and we think, this is going to be easy. God's promised it. I'm nearly there. I'm on the way. And then there's a shut door right in front of us. Maybe in the marriages and the careers and the things that we're doing, we've got to a point where it's like it's a Jericho and it's a shut door in a walled city. But you see, God had given him a promise that he was to take that city. And God promises us what's over the other side of our obedience. God has a promise for us of something new. God gives us hope that a shut door is not where he wants us to stay. He doesn't want us to wait outside any door. Quite the opposite. He's always about us entering in to the fullness of what he has for us. So what is Joshua going to do? He's staring at Jericho, but he knows what God's told him, but he doesn't know how to do it. He can't do what other military strategists have done, which is hold the city to siege, wait for nine long months at the minimum till they run out of food. Instead, he gets a God-breathed strategy, a God-led innovation. And God speaks to him and says, go and walk around the city. Joshua's like, Okay, and then on the seventh day, lift up a shout. See, it was a God-breathed innovation. 
Who would have ever thought to do that? Nobody, but God was in it. And Joshua did it. He had the humility to do it. The first city in the promised land was taken through innovation. You see, innovation requires a new approach for a new result. Innovation must be God-breathed in our life. We're not after man-made innovation. If Joshua had done it the way other men had done it, he would have been waiting for nine long months rather than seven short days. In our lives, it might be that sometimes a delay is because we keep trying to rely on our own man-made strategies. And God's saying, I've got a God-breathed innovation in your life. I'm just about to do it in your life. And it will go so much faster then we would think when we get to that shut door, if we would pray and begin to ask what God's strategy is. Innovation must be God-breathed. Think about Esther in the Bible, Queen Esther. She's in the situation where she's queen, but there is an enemy of her, her people. She's part of the Jewish people. And the king has been manipulated into signing a decree that all the Jewish people are going to die, that all the Jewish people are going to be exterminated. Esther faces a shut door. The deal is sealed. The deed is signed. The king's decree can't be reversed. The king can't go back on his word. It's an impossible situation. And Esther, she understands that there is really not much she can do. The king can't change his word. She's got a shut door. She's afraid. She's afraid for herself. She's going to be put to death. She's Jewish. She's afraid for her people that they're going to be wiped out. And Esther in this situation begins to have a hope that maybe God has put her there for such a time as this, that maybe that shut door is because God is getting ready to do something through her, that she has been the one standing at that shut door for such a time as this. And so what does she do? What does Esther do? She prays and she fasts. She prays and she innovates. See, God-breathed innovation can come from prayer, from being with him. And she stands before God and she begins to pray and he gives her a strategy. She doesn't go into the court of the king. Like, that's what we would have done. That's what a man-made strategy would have been, to go in, into the courts, stand before the king and make a demand. Tell him how it is. Tell him what he's got to do. Put her wifely foot down, her queenly wifely foot. Like, this is how it's got to be. No, no. She doesn't make a demand. Instead, she throws a dinner party. Rather than an aggression and an aggressive attitude, she creates an atmosphere of hospitality, of warmth, creating an atmosphere in which the king's heart can be open to receive her request. See, Esther, rather than doing what she could have done, she gets a God-led strategy, and she sets a table to turn the tables. Yeah. She sets the table, and the tables are turned because the king signs a new decree. He signs a new decree, not that reverses his word, but that allows and empowers the Jewish people. The Jewish people are saved through innovation. A whole nation is saved because one person innovated and found a way through their shut door. Her people were saved. See, in our lives, one idea, one new thought— one new revelation. See, uh, the Bible is 
full of innovation. The Bible is full of people who just innovated in one way. And on the other side of that innovation, there was revelation, there was deliverance, there was miracles, there was transformations, there was turnarounds, and my friends, there was breakthrough. Because all throughout the Bible, God is a God of innovation. God is a God of the new thing. See, I am doing a new thing, he says. He wants us to see that he is a God of innovation and we can look to him for new thoughts. We can look to him for new ways. We can look to him for different reactions. We can look for him to mold and shape our path forward. I want to say this morning, we are only one small innovation away from the greatest changes. You know, in our lives, innovation is often closest when we are the most desperate. You know, we've talked about Joshua. He was pretty desperate, the weight of the nation on his shoulders. We've talked about Esther. She was desperate, the weight of her people. She was desperate, facing death. The paralytic, he was desperate. In these situations, their desperation led them to innovation. You know, in our lives, we might feel like there's a hard moment. There's a wall. There's a shut door. There's a full room. There's a blocked way forward. We might not see how God could bring change. It's always been like this. Man, we've got patterns of behavior. We've got existing habits, the way that we speak to one another, the way that we do things. You know, we may see that there's just no way forward, but the hardest moments can lead to the greatest change. When we get to that point of honesty and humility, when we're facing those difficult moments and we really square them up and look at them face on, but with God on our side, we begin to see that a small change can make the hardest things possible. In the midst of what we face that's difficult, we've got to pause and we've got to look for God. We've got to look for God. Esther paused. Joshua paused. The paralytic's friends paused. One of those friends of the paralytic, rather than saying, yeah, we'll go back again later, he's going, let's go up on the roof. Yeah. Let's, let's go up on the roof. And so, you know, and some of us might have been familiar with this story. You might have grown up hearing it. And so it's not really that shocking to you that he got through the roof. Yeah, yeah, I heard that before. But just think for a moment. Imagine what it was like for the people in the room that day. They didn't know he was going to come through the roof. And they're sitting there and they're listening to Jesus. You know, they're there. And then all of a sudden, they're hearing scratching noises. They're hearing like kind of fumbly, loud echo noises up the top of the roof, and they're getting a bit distracted, and they think, oh, those flippin' seagulls in Galilee, those jolly fishermen, wish they'd put their nets further away. Ah, oh, these birds, they're flocking to Jesus as well. He even loves the birds, and they're all coming to be near him, and all the birds on the roof, man, they're heavy birds, and then bits of dust start falling, and bits of dust are falling on them, and then before they know it, a hole appears in the roof, and if that's not enough, before their eyes, something is being lowered down, better than any theatre show. It's not Cirque du Soleil. It hasn't been invented yet. And the man, well, he's like this. He's clearly not an acrobat. He can't move. And he's being lowered down right in front of them. Somebody got a little bit desperate and came up with a whole new situation to bring a breakthrough. They pulled off the roof. They devised a pulley system. They came up with a way to lower him down the roof. You know, these men took a risk. 
They took a risk. They risked themselves physically. They say men die before women. Yes, that's right, because they climb roofs. Yes, that's true. These men, yep, they were up there on the roof, risking themselves physically. They risked themselves financially. They risked themselves publicly. I mean, they might have to pay for the roof. And then, you know, there they are. They're up there in full view. Their heads are peering through the window. Hey there. (laughs) Hey, everybody. It's just us, just up here on the roof. It was pretty public. There was nowhere they could go. They weren't hiding. They were being out there on a limb, risking it all to do innovation. Their innovation was driven by love. Their innovation was driven by a vision of a different future for their friend. You know, there is something that we must pause and note, and that is that religion always opposes innovation. Thank you, Izzy. Oh, thank you, John. (laughs) Much better looking than Izzy. (laughs) Oh, got my back since 96. Love you. (laughs) Love you, babe. (laughs) (laughs) Religion opposes innovation. See, religion doesn't like it when you break the line. Religion doesn't like it when you lift off the roof. Religion doesn't like it when you don't queue for as long as you were meant to, when you don't wait your turn. How dare they barge in? How dare they interrupt Jesus? You know, religion wants the roof to stay on. And unfortunately, there can be religion in all of us. You see, for us to think differently and allow God to move differently, we have to be, have a humility to look at things a different way, to understand that actually we don't really know what God could do, that we don't have it figured out, that our understanding is a lot smaller than his understanding. He's the God of the ages. There is so much we don't know about him. We don't know what we don't know. And there's a humility that we don't allow what we know to determine what we do. You see, innovation, the obstacle of innovation is our current life and habits, the way we think things need to be done, the way things have always been done. I mean, there was a time in church when drums was a bad thing, but somebody innovated. Somebody didn't let that hold back what God had for the future of his church. Innovation will require a new approach for a new result in our lives. You know, I want to come really and say this this morning. The key thing that I want to ask us all in this room this morning is this. Where in our lives today are we trying to go through a door and God's saying to us, make a hole in the roof? Make a hole in the roof. It's time for a second view. It's time for a second wave. It's time for a second revival. It's time for a second approach. It's time for us to go again, to look again, to go deeper. Our God is the God of hope. He is the God of breakthrough. He's the God of answers. He is the God who doesn't leave us in paralysis, but leads us into freedom and healing. Oh, my friends, we're not to stop at the shut door, but to allow God to take us up on the roof. Oh, somebody's going to make a hole in the roof this year. This is the year where the shut door doesn't turn us away, but it sets us up to climb the roof. If the band could come. But innovation requires us to go back to God a second time. 
It means that we sometimes we need to go back to God a second time, a second approach. These guys, they took a second approach at what they faced. The door wasn't an option, so they went to the roof. And we in our lives, sometimes God's saying, come back a second time. Come back to me a second time. You know, there was a man by the name of Jacob in the Bible. And he went to a place, a very, very special place where he encountered God. The name of that place was Bethel. He turned up at Bethel the first time. He went to sleep. And as he lay down in that place, God was there. And he had a dream. He had a dream and he saw angels ascending and descending on a ladder. But more than that, he had an encounter and a revelation that God was his God. It was personal. He wasn't just the God of Abraham and Isaac. He was the God of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You can help me out. Abraham. There we go. Isaac and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was his God. He had the revelation that God was his God, and if God was his God, then the dream for his life was going to happen. Things began to change in Jacob's life because God became his God. Things began to shift for him. But then Jacob had to go back to where he had come from, and he was afraid of his brother Esau. He'd taken something from his brother. He'd stolen something from his brother, and he was afraid for his life. And as he was in fear and trembling of how his brother was going to treat him, he thought his brother might kill him. And with that desperation, he went back to God a second time. He knew he needed a new revelation. He needed a new innovation. He needed a fresh word from God. And so he went back again to Bethel. He went again a second time. And as he's there at Bethel, God again turns up. And he encounters the presence of God at Bethel again. And this time, in this moment with God, it doesn't just become personal, it becomes generational. It doesn't just become an inspiration, it becomes something that's a transformation. Firstly, he got inspired, but then in the second visit, he got transformed. And God says to him, you will no longer be called Jacob, you will be called Israel. You'll be called Israel. It went from something that was just about him to something that was about a nation, something that was bigger than him to something greater than he could imagine. God can do the same in our lives. He can take something and lead us to the place when when we encounter him, we are changed. Just one small change, even in us, one small change and the greatest things can happen. We can be who God is needing us to be, who He wants us to be, who He sees us to be, sometimes simply because we see ourselves as He sees us. Jacob had to begin to see he wasn't the wrestler, he wasn't the heel grabber, he wasn't duplicit, he wasn't all these manipulative things he'd been told, he wasn't who he'd been told he was, he was who God said he was. You are Israel. And I'm anointing you to lead a nation and I'm anointing you to form and birth something new. See, God wants us to sometimes in our lives say, I'm gonna go back a second time. I believe that in this room, in our lives, each one of us, God is saying, go back a second time. I have a second way. I have a second innovation in your life. I have a new thing. That shut door, don't turn away. Don't turn away. There's a roof to climb. There's a roof to climb. We need to let God show us a new way. Would everybody stand this morning in this room? 
I want to say this morning to each and every one of us, as I look out at each person here and I understand your lives and your significance and what you are doing and how much you matter in God's eternal plan, just how great you are. I want to say to you today, don't accept a shut door. Oh, my friend, you have so much that God is wanting to do in you and through you and for you. Oh, my friends in this room, don't accept a shut door. Today it's time to innovate. Today it's time to recreate, to dream again, to go again, to build again, to think again, to look again, to see again to believe again in this room this morning. That God's saying, come on somebody, climb up the roof. Look at the situation in a new light. There's a greater day. The smallest change can bring about the greatest impact. Oh my friends, just one small thing God could do. One small innovation. Just one thing that's God breathed and everything can change. You know, in our lives, I believe this is going to be a year of innovation. And this morning, if in any way God is asking you to innovate, then right now I'd love you to lift your hands and we're gonna pray together this morning. Oh God, Father, I thank you this morning for your amazing people. And in this room are the innovators. In this room are people who are creative. In this room are people that you will give second sight, that you will give breakthrough. Father, we come to you again. We come to you again and we ask God, show us the way to the roof. Show us the way to the roof. Oh, no shut door. We'll hold back what you want to do in us and through us and for us. Oh God, we believe you're the God of the breakthrough. You're the God of the promise. You're the God who takes us in where there is no way. You make a way. When the doors need to open, you fling them wide open and your provision and your healing and your miracles are present. Oh Lord, let it be done. Let it be done. Let it be done in Jesus' name. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor Gillian Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at Arise Church and at Gillian Cameron.